give God another hand of praise this morning. So we are continuing our series in the book of Philippians. Uh, you could join me in Philippians chapter 1. We're still in chapter 1. Uh, we're going to start at verse 12, and today we're going to go ahead and finish the chapter out. Uh, super excited again that you're with us. If you're a guest with us today, today's uh, your first, second, or third time. We will invite you to fill out a Connect card. You can find one of those at our Connect table. If you fill that out, we have a Chick-fil-A gift card waiting for you. Uh, it's free 99. Three easy payments of free 99. Just got to turn in that uh, Connect card. Don't be a hater, bro. So the title of our series is Harmony, A Church in Tune with God. And so what we want to be is we want our church to be in harmony with one another. And as we are unified with one another, we're also, by consequence, be in tune with God because God's desire for his church, for the bride of Jesus Christ, to be in unity and harmony with one another. And so we're walking through the book of Philippians uh, forward to be a church, worth celebrating to be a church, uh, that looks similar to uh, the book of Philippians. And so let's start at verse 12. I mean, yeah, verse 12. We won't start anywhere until I actually turn this. Here we go. Philippians 1, starting in verse 12, and it says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment, and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim, sin, proclaim sincerely, proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice because I know that this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit and in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way 
by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation. And this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray that your word will empower us, will change us, will transform us, will make us new. That we will not leave the four walls of this room the same way we came in. We will not be like a man who comes to a mirror, sees his flaws, walks away, and forgets what he saw. But instead, we will learn what adjustments need to be made in our life. We will learn how your word will continue to sanctify us. That we'll be better followers of you because of your word. We'll be better siblings to one another because of your word. We'll be better missionaries to this city because of your word. We'll be better ambassadors because of your word. And so as I proclaim to you this morning, proclaim to your people this morning, God, I pray that you'll speak through me, that these words will not be my own, but all will be ordained by you, Lord. That as I decrease, your spirit will increase in me and that you hide me behind your cross that none of me be seen but all of you. That you'll get all the glory. You'll get all the honor, all the praise. Your name will be made great and much will be made of you today. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. A lot of things that you go through in your life is really how you handle it is based on how you perceive it. Your perception on life determines your action in everything that you face. Some of you might have difficult jobs. And yes, your job very well may be difficult, but your perspective about that job can determine whether you have a fruitful experience there or not. Some of us have a, a certain perspective about certain relatives in our lives. And your perspective on that particular relative can be the difference between whether you shower them with love or whether you treat them with disdain. Think about my nephew Andre. My nephew Andre um, is, is a, a difficult case. He has some uh, learning disabilities of, among other things and Andre tends to be really, really annoying. And he can ask you a thousand questions. He can want to follow you everywhere you go. He can be obnoxiously loud. You know when you play with a kid and they just start screaming really loud. It's like, bro, we just, you know, it's just a little rustle and tussle. It ain't, it ain't got to be all that. But you, you'll touch Andre and he will blow up and he's screaming loud and he's playing. But it's like, man, I don't even want to play with you no more. That's, that's way too much. Here's the thing, though. Because of my perspective about Andre, and I know that most people view him as annoying, I tend to respond with more patience. Because I know everybody else is, get out of my face, don't talk to me, I ain't got time for that. And so instead, I try to bring my tone down, I try to make it more relaxing, 
I try to say what I have to say directly, consistently, fairly, but in love. Because of my perspective of Andre and his circumstance, it allows me to interact with him differently. And I think Christians need to have that same change of perspective when it comes to suffering. Because when we think about suffering, a lot of times that is something that we want to have nothing to do. And in fact, we, we maneuver our lives in such a way that we can avoid suffering as much as possible. So we make sure we pick jobs that only make me feel good at the end of the day. Not jobs that, that if, if this job doesn't, I don't have peace at this job and I can't work in an environment that I like, then, then I have to move. And so we, we pick our jobs based on experiences or, or, or the lack of suffering. We like our relationships to not have any difficulty or suffering in it. And so we'll date somebody in the first hiccup we have. We're like, hey, this ain't for me. This is for the birds. We even pick our churches based on how little we can suffer and have difficulty even in those churches. So we come to the church and the pastor uh, makes me feel convicted about our, my sin. And he, he, he's talking too much about sin. I got to move because I, I don't like being uncomfortable. I don't like the difficulty of that. Or, or if he's not making me feel like that I should be well off and I should be rich and I should have a lot of money and I should be wealthy and prosperous, then I need to move around. And we maneuver our lives in every facet so that we can minimize suffering and maximize pleasure. Amen. My God. But that's the wrong perspective to have about suffering. In fact, the bottom line of our message this morning is that we should suffer for the gospel with a heavenly perspective. Our suffering, we have to have a heavenly perspective about our suffering. Because our suffering, as we've talked about before, is actually for our benefit. That God uses our suffering to grow us so that we can be more like Jesus Christ, so that he can conform us like the potter conforms the clay to mirror the image of his son Jesus. Now, some suffering, I'm not saying, hear me well, that you go find suffering, that you intentionally put yourself in predicaments so that you can suffer. Trust me, suffer, suffering will find you. Difficulty will find you. But understanding that that difficulty, that suffering is designed to make you better, and you need to have a heavenly perspective about it. Here's what Paul is talking to the Philippian church. We need to understand the context that Paul is talking to them in. Paul is currently in a Roman prison. He's in Rome, finally has made it to Rome. His desire was to go to Rome. He's in Rome, and he is in prison for the sake of the gospel. He's in prison because he's been preaching and declaring the gospel in all the places that he's been in, thus particularly in Rome. And what the church of Philippi does, this is 10 years later from Acts 16, the church of Philippi has always been supportive of what Paul is doing. They've always had love for Paul. In fact, we know in, in last week's sermon how much love and, and affection that Paul had for the Philippian church that he says that every time I remember you in my prayers, I give thanks to God. And so Paul has this deep affections for them. They also share these deep affections for Paul. And so what they do is, is that they send a gift 
to Paul by way of Epaphroditus. And so Epaphroditus travels all the way uh, from Philippi up to Rome in Italy, so modern-day Greece. He walks from modern-day Greece to modern-day Italy, Italy to, to give Paul a gift from the church to support him in his needs as he's in prison. He's kind of in this house prison type of situation where he can still have uh, visitors and those things. And so they sent Epaphroditus to show him love. But what Epaphroditus' um, responsibility when he returns is to give them a report on what Paul is experiencing in Rome. And so this letter is Paul giving thanks to the church for the gifts that they gave him, updating them on his current condition, and giving them some exhortations along the way. We'll deal with some of those exhortations starting today as well. But what I want us to look at is the heavenly perspective that Paul has when he talks about his imprisonment. Let's, look, let's read it again. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. You hear this perspective? Paul could be saying, hey, man, it's hard in here. It's cold. These guards treat me like crap. I ain't got a whole lot of money. I ain't heard from Corinth. I ain't heard from Thessalonica. I hadn't heard from uh, Ephesus. Like, this is extremely frustrating. That's not what Paul says. He says, what I want you to know is that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. You hear the heavenly perspective? It's not about the suffering that I'm experiencing. It's about the fact that the gospel is moving forward. He said so much so that it's become known, verse 13, through all, throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. And so Paul is saying that the guards, the, the Roman guards that, that may very well be a part of the imperial court, so they might have some, some connection or some close uh, um, uh, connections or, or proximity to the emperor of Rome which is a pretty big deal, that even the emperor's guard, emperor's guards, those in the, in the palace, as well as all who are around Rome, understand that Paul is not in prison because he's delinquent. Paul is not in prison because he didn't follow the law of the land. Paul is in prison because he's in Christ. And we need to get this, because Paul isn't suffering because he brought this suffering on himself. He's suffering for the gospel because he was proclaiming the gospel. And we need to understand this because some of us, when we're suffering, we need to be careful before we claim that we're suffering from the gospel. Let me, let me have a pastoral moment with you real quick. Sometimes we suffer because you don't do what you're supposed to at work. People are not jumping down your throat and people are not raising up in a coup against you because, you know, you live for Jesus. It's because you don't do your work well. It's because you spend more time on Facebook and on Instagram than you do engaging in the project that you're supposed to be doing at work. Some of our suffering at work will be resolved if we just start working at the job as unto the Lord. Some of us, we, we, people are against us or opposing us 
and, and Drake got us all confused. Talking about I got enemies, got a lot of enemies. All of us feel like we got haters. And some of us don't have haters. We just don't know how to talk to people. We, we don't know how to, to, to empathize with people in whatever circumstances they go in. And so we dismiss their feelings instead of being present with them emotionally. And so people, people don't want to do nothing with you. They want anything to do with you because you're following Jesus. It's because you don't know how to be kind. And so we need to be mindful that in some cases, it might not be because we're being persecuted because we follow Jesus. It might be there's some things we need to evaluate in our character and rectify. And after you've done that evaluation, then we come back to, now, am I suffering because of the gospel? Am I suffering at my workplace because I choose to not partake in certain conversations that others do? When, when people come around me to share gossip and, and say horrible things about others and to just share the tea, do I typically stray away from those conversations? And that's the reason they don't like me. Paul here is in prison, not because he did something wrong, because he did something right. And you have to understand, because we, we get frustrated, because uh, and some of us have this, this again, unheavenly perspective about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to, to be a, 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 an ambassador of the kingdom. And what we need to be reminded of is that you can live a relatively good life by God's grace and his empowerment and still have bad things happen to you. You can be faithful to Jesus and still have hard things happen in your life. So I don't want you to have this false sense of, of confidence in your faith that everything is supposed to be good and supposed to be gravy because what Christ is ultimately changing is not everything around you. He's changing you so that you can have the same heavenly perspective that Paul has when he's in this situation. Here's the impact of Paul being in prison. He says in verse 14, most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and there even more to speak the word fiercely. So his being, him being in prison has actually emboldened other believers to proclaim the good news. Yeah. And so when we suffer, it should not put, move us in a place of withdrawing yeah. and being quiet. We should share the gospel all the more. Yeah. We should be even more radical about where we are as Christians. Yeah. And I think this has some implications for coronavirus, too. That when we find our, our world and, and people around us suffering yeah. and facing difficulty, yeah. it should move us to a place where we want to make sure even more people know the gospel. Because yeah. whether, whether they're elderly or immunocompromised, people are dying. Yeah. Are these people dying without a hope? Yeah. Are these people dying without knowing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? Yeah. That's more tragic than coronavirus. Yeah. And so should the church be silent, be removed from society, or should we be actively and strategically thinking through how can we be emboldened in the midst of suffering? Yeah. Why? So the gospel can go yeah. forward. Yeah. Yeah. 
Now, hear me well, this is not a slam against churches who've, who've prayed and discerned that the best thing for their church to do would be not to meet on Sunday. Those are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't criticize them for that. So that's not what this is. What this is, it encourages us that we need to know that as Christians, we still have work to do. Throughout Christian history, you'll see when everybody else was fleeing the, the illnesses, the diseases, the plagues, the Christians stayed to take care of each other. So Christians don't run away from suffering. They don't run away from trouble. They don't run away from difficulty. They run to those who need help in the midst of it. That's why after the service is over today, we're meeting on how our church can actively support and encourage and, and encourage this community and serve. Why? Because as Christians, suffering should embolden us. In fact, any place the gospel is persecuted, the faith actually grows more. In countries where Christianity isn't allowed, they're growing more daily than churches are in America. And we have the freedom to proclaim our faith in any space, anywhere, at any time, for the most part. And in places like China, the, the gospel is being oppressed and suppressed by the government, but yet those churches are growing exponentially. In fact, the growth is so wide that we technically can't even count it because those churches are underground. Suffering needs to happen with a heavenly perspective. And so the, the brothers in Rome are actually sharing the, go, go, the gospel more fiercely and more boldly. Why? Because of Paul's imprisonment. Yeah. So here's my first point. That when we suffer, to have a heavenly perspective, we need to rejoice in the spread of the gospel. That in the midst of suffering, we have to find the means to rejoice over the spread of the gospel. Yeah. So if the gospel is going forth, we are rejoicing in that in the midst of our suffering. Yeah. Now, Paul recognizes that in the midst of this suffering, his imprisonment, that there are two types of people going around right now. There are individuals who are preaching the gospel out of envy, rivalry, jealousy, some type of uh, dislike for Paul. And there are individuals who are preaching out of goodwill and out of sincere hearts. Here's what's interesting to note here. That Paul actually does not condemn them. Isn't that interesting? That they, Paul is saying that there are individuals who are preaching the gospel out of selfish ambition to make my circumstance harder. They're preaching with the wrong motives. Some have false motives and have, some have genuine motives. But Paul didn't condemn either one. In fact, he says, for this, the gospel is preached and therefore I'm rejoicing. Even though they're trying to make this hard on me, even though they have ill intent with what they're doing, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even going to talk about how that is making my situation worse. I'm going to talk about how the fact that I'm rejoicing in the light of it. Why? Because the gospel is going forth. Yeah. Yeah. 
let's understand something here. What Paul is not talking about is individuals who are preaching a false gospel. So some of us can walk away with the application that if they're preaching about Jesus, we should just be content with that. There are a lot of people preaching Jesus, and Paul rebuked it because they weren't preaching the right Jesus, and they weren't preaching the right salvation. I'll give you an example. When those brothers from uh, uh, Jerusalem came down, they were, uh, they were a part of the Pharisee sect, but they were Christians, and they came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and they told them that you have to be circumcised in addition to believing on Jesus Christ. When those individuals made that, Paul packed up and they went to Jerusalem to have a conversation with the rest of the, the apostles to say, hey, we need to get this situated. In fact, when Peter, who is the guy for the apostles, the main dude, when he chooses to live his life out of step with the gospel, Paul rebukes him. Peter is one of the original 12. Paul is an apostle that came later. And he steps up and rebukes Peter because Peter was out of step with the gospel. Because his lifestyle, because he chose not to eat with the Gentiles because they weren't circumcised and got up from the table and ate with the Jews when they came down with Jerusalem. Paul said, Peter, you ain't right, bro. And he rebuked them in front of everybody. Here's my point. If they're not preaching the right gospel, we're not rejoicing in that. If they are preaching things that are different in these scriptures, not secondary issues that we don't agree on, we're talking about primary issues, like who Jesus is, that he's fully God and fully human, right? That, that salvation only comes through repentance and faith, but faith alone, right? That it's not coming by our works. Those things, when someone is preaching something different from that, we don't rejoice in that. We call that out. We rebuke those individuals. But when someone's preaching with ill intent, but still preaching truth, it doesn't matter what their motives are. Less concerned with that and more rejoicing that the gospel. Does that make sense? Y'all understand the differences? Great. And so what does Paul do? He rejoices in that. Paul recognizes in the scripture let's look at verse 20 he says my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything but that now as always with all courage Christ will be highly honored in my body whether by life or by death for me to live is Christ and to die is gain now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I do not know which one I should choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ, Jesus may be abound. Let's pause here. Paul starts to have this, this kind of interesting dialogue with them as he's updating them about his circumstances. He knows that the reality is he very well could die. And what we'll find out some years later, Paul actually does get beheaded because of his faith. He's killed after being in prison, I don't know, third or fourth time. But Paul understands 
that in this predicament, he very well could die. And so he's wrestling with this reality. He says, I could die or I could live. And I thought about this. Because if, if, I, if I live, I get to stay with you. Yeah. I get to continue and encourage you and yeah. lift you and I can see you growing your faith. Yeah. But if I die, I get to be with Jesus. Yeah. It's funny when Paul says this is a famous uh, verse that, that many Christians have quoted. Verse 21 says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Yeah. Now most people would say it the other way. They would say, for me to live is gain, and me to die is Christ. Yeah. What Paul is saying is, is that in my life, what I'm going to do is I'm going to honor Jesus Christ. Which is our second point. That Christ should be honored in your life and in your death. Paul says later, he says that my hope and my easy expectation is that I will honor Christ with my body. Yeah. And so to live is Christ. Everything that I do in my life is so that Christ can be glorified. Yeah. But then he also says, to die is gain. To die is even better than to live for a Christian. Amen. Why? Because when I die, I get to be with Jesus more intimately than I am here on earth. Yeah. When I die, I get a new resurrected body yeah. that is not prone to illness, yeah. that's not prone to sin, and the effects and consequences and penalty of sin, but that it is a perfect body. Yeah. That my body can even stand to be in the presence of the holy, omniscient, all-powerful God. Yeah. Do you know in the presence of God, when, when God would physically manifest his presence on earth, the Israelites couldn't even touch the same mountain that the presence of God was consuming because they would die. God's presence was so great that it was literally consuming. Yeah. It's like the earth from the sun. At the right distance, the earth can live and bear life. But if the earth gets too close to the sun, it will be consumed by it. Yeah. And that's how great God's glory is, how great his presence is. Now, what he's done for us here on earth is that he's allowed uh, a Jesus, the, the shedding of his blood and the remission of our sins, the forgiveness of our sins, Jesus playing the punishment, that the Holy Spirit can now dwell on the inside of us. But that's even then not in the fullness that God could be with us. And so when we die, we get these new bodies. We can completely be in the presence of God and not be consumed. And so to die is gain. It's better. But Paul concludes that at this present time, the best thing is to stay with him. And this is the heavenly perspective Paul has about his suffering. That whether I live through this suffering or I die in the midst of this suffering, I'm going to honor God. Christ needs to be honored in your life and your death. A beautiful story of Christians who, when they die, they die knowing that them and God are good. Knowing that they will get to be with their, their Savior. 
And it's a beautiful thing to not fear death. It's a beautiful thing to know what happens on the other end. Paul says to live as Christ, but to die as gain. And then he moves into this place of exhortation. Verse 27, now he's encouraging them practically on what? Things to do. He says just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. Not being frightened by any, any way by your op- opponents. Yeah. This is a sign of destruction for them, but a sign of your salvation. Yeah. And this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Amen. Since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I have. Paul says, first thing, here's our point, that we need to live worthy of the gospel. And he says that directly. Let's take a look at verse 26 again. I'm sorry, 27. He says, just one thing, as citizens of heaven. This is easy to overlook right here. As citizens of heaven. Well, Paul, if you remember what we talked about in Acts 16, when we we opened up Philippians, we talked about Philippi being a Roman colony, which means uh, that, that... the, 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 uh, the, emperor, the empire of Rome has assumed authority. It, it's kind of like how Hawaii is to the United States. Hawaii is a part of the United States, even though it's not connected to it geographically, right? And so Philippi is a Roman colony now, which means that they get a lot of benefits and privileges that other places that have been conquered by Rome don't have. And there was a lot of pride here about being a part of Rome. In fact, a lot of retired veterans who fought in different wars for Rome lived in this community. There was a lot of nationalism. Roman nationalism, to be exact. And so to be a Roman citizen was really a benefit for a lot of people. But here's what Paul says. He says, as citizens of heaven. Not citizens of Rome, here's what Paul said, let me talk about your nationalism. Let's talk about, uh, uh, I don't want you to take comfort and live your life as a Roman citizen. I want you to live your life as a citizen of heaven. Your first thought in your heavenly perspective is not that I'm a citizen of Rome first and a citizen of God's kingdom second. I need you to think from your heavenly perspective, not from your Roman perspective. So don't be worried about your Roman privilege and how you might lose your Roman privilege in the sake of uh, proclaiming the good news. I need you to live worthy of the gospel. So let me let me speak very pointedly about our country and about us as American citizens. You are not an American citizen first. In fact, your your American citizenship pales in comparison to your citizenship in heaven. Let me dig a little deeper. You are not black first. I don't care how much people see your blackness first. You're a, a citizen of God's kingdom first. And so your, your position with Jesus trumps, no pun intended, your, your ethnic distinction. 
don't care how much money you make or lack thereof, you don't operate with the ideology that you are poor, middle class, or uh, uh, upper class. You operate under the understanding that you are a citizen of God's kingdom. So you can love your country. That's wonderful. But you're a Christian first. You're a veteran second. You're an American citizen second. You're the mayor, the president second. You're black second. You're white second. You live on Burjones second. You're from Monroe second. First is that you are a citizen of God's kingdom. Now, in light of the fact that you're a citizen of God's kingdom, be less worried about what you lose and be more about what you gain, and therefore you should live worthy of the gospel. Live worthy of the gospel. Make the gospel and the implications of the gospel your priority in your life. And Paul kind of fleshes this out because he's saying, because at some point I'm hoping to come back to you. But whether I come, you know, like a mama, whether I come see your room is clean or not, I'm hoping your room is clean. Paul is saying whether, right. Paul is saying whether I'm present or not, here's my hope, here's my desire for you as you live worthy of the gospel. And this is why we call the series Harmony, so that you'll be in one spirit, in one accord, contending for the faith together. So Paul hope and a part of us living uh, worthy of the gospel is that as a church, as a local body of believers, that we are unified, that we're on the same page. Again, as we're thinking about a heavenly perspective and we're citizens of heaven first, the thing that we need to be unified is about the gospel and everything else comes second. So my political views are not what Paul is calling us to be one on. We can be Republicans, Democrats, Independents, and all the other parties that they have. But we need to be unified in the gospel and how the gospel works out in our life. We can have 400 years of racial history, which we do, negative racial history. But the gospel is where we agree on, and that should be the basis of our unity. Let me, let's talk through, let, me, let me dig in this a little bit deeper. Here's the reality is we should be able to be in this room or be at each other's house and preferably at each other's dinner table, disagree staunchly about abortion or about uh, other political issues, about prison reform, about whatever these things is, and regardless of how, how deep-seated your convictions are about those political stances, that should not change how you feel about your brother in Christ or your sister in Christ. If you walk away being so frustrated where you're like, man, I, can't, I don't know if I can be in the same church with these folks. I don't know if I can be in the same, uh, same room with them at the same dinner table. You got to work on some stuff in your own heart because unity comes first over my political views. Now, granted, they might have some ideology that are probably not as biblical as you may believe they are. And there may be some things where in your love for them and your contending for the unity of the faith, where they need to walk through. Some of those issues, you might say, are not political issues, they're biblical issues. But they may not see it the way you see it. 
And so your, that unity and that love for them comes first over your political views. Are y'all hearing me this morning? Again, if you walk away, see, see your love should supersede for your brothers and sisters in Christ because we're contending for the unity of faith together. Your love should supersede those difficulties. I, I have a white brothers and sisters who do not understand what it's like to be black. And we have conversations, and I try to use every analogy, illustration to help them understand the, the difficulty that black people experience. And they, see, they say things like, you know, well, you know, the Scottish, Scottish were enslaved too. Yeah. And they, they make all of these unnecessary comparisons, and, and you know, they, they slip in economics to kind of, you know, overlook the whole racial element of it. But guess what? I still love them. And I still talk to them. And I still labor with them. And if I can't do life with them anymore, there's something wrong with me. And I had to work through that personally. That was a personal thing that I had to work through because I got to one place in my life where I was like, I don't want nothing to do with white folks. But the issue wasn't white people. The issue was me. We need to walk away from difficult conversations as citizens of heaven. And so we got to contend for the unity of faith so that as we suffer together, we continue to labor together. We're in this thing together. Bubonic plague, coronavirus, racism, hatred, economic difficulties, recessions. As the church, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, we're in this together. So Paul says, if I come or don't come, my hope is that you are contending for the faith together, that you are unified in spirit and in mind on one accord. That's what it means for a church to be in harmony together. As we close, this last thing Paul says, for it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in him, but also to suffer. It's important for us to have a heavenly perspective on suffering because we're going to suffer on Christ's behalf. In fact, it should be a joy that you get to suffer for Jesus. I know that doesn't sound fun. Actually, it's not fun. But it's for your benefit that you get to suffer for your Lord and your Savior. So my encouragement to you today, as you go through hardship, that you approach it from a heavenly perspective, that you rejoice when the gospel is being preached and shared and spread throughout our world, throughout this neighborhood, throughout this city, that you'll honor Christ in your life and your death, that you live worthy of the gospel, fighting and contending for unity. Amen. Amen. If you're with us today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we would invite you to make him your Lord and Savior. The Bible says that in order to do that, first off, you've got to recognize that you're a sinner and that you're in deep need, that you're in a plane about to jump out without a parachute. 
But the gospel shows us that if you jump out of the plane without a parachute, the only hope you have is to flap your arms, but you still fall to your death. You need a parachute. That's Jesus. But you need to realize you need a parachute. You're about to jump into eternity, and you don't want to jump into eternity without a parachute. So you're a sinner. You need to be saved. You've lied. You've stolen. You've used God's name in vain. You need to make Jesus Christ your Lord. You need to repent of your sins and turn to Jesus. Because Jesus Christ died on the cross so that you can be forgiven of your sins. If that's you today, where you're saying, look, I need, to, I need to get right with God. He's my creator. He's my maker. I've not lived my life for him. I'm a sinner, and I need to be saved. If that's you today, come have a, a conversation with Hope or, or Melanie or both of them. They'd be happy to have a conversation with you at our connect table. So we'll, uh, I'm going to pray, and then we'll take the, uh, well, I'll give you some instructions after that. Father, thank you for your word today. And uh, we pray that we're transformed by your word, that we'll fight for unity, that we'll live in harmony with one another so that you be glorified and that we'll suffer with a heavenly perspective. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.